you're listening to the From Grassroots to the Glory podcast, hosted by Didier Lemieux, providing an in-depth look into the behind the scenes of the Victorian Athletic League. Welcome to the From Grassroots to Glory podcast. Today's guest is one of the most successful coaches in the VAL. A five-time stall gift winner, he is inches away from becoming the coach with the most stall gift wins. He's had some of the best athletes in the country under his watch over the years. And as season 2023-24 kicks off, he's eyeing up big things for his squad this season. In today's episode, we'll learn the humble nature of Brett Robinson, the methods behind his coaching, and what he has learnt from his athletes over the years. So please welcome to the pod, Brett Robinson. Brett, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. How's things? Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, really, it's quite warm up here in Queensland today. It's 34 degrees in, in Rabina, so... Um, sitting in air conditioning at home at the moment, um, waiting to go training. So, yeah, things have been good. We've had a really good winter. Um, very little distraction with international races and and so forth. But um, yeah, it's been been quite a comfortable winter and um, pretty happy with where our where our group's at. Yeah, fantastic. It's going to be a fantastic season. So it's good that you've had that that building block over the winter. Uh, for people that aren't aware of who you are, you're the coach of the Viking squad, one of the, the top squads uh, that compete in the VAL circuit. Uh, you've got some amazing runners. Of course, Colour Bull won the, uh, the store gift last year for the women. Um, so you've got some some good pedigree in terms of the uh, the athletes in your squad. Uh, but I suppose a, a great place to start um, would be, you know, what was it initially that made you want to start your own high-performance training squad? Um, I don't know if I... I set out to start a high performance training squad. Um, we, when I was running, I noticed that there was a little bit of a gap in the market in, in service, in the service delivery around the high performance elements. And they just weren't, um, I suppose, being offered at the grassroots level or at my, or at, met to me as an athlete. Um, I kind of got a little taste of it when we were in Australian surf squads and, and so forth, where we'd, um, we'd get the AIS come in or the QAS and do some testing. So I started just, adding a little, a few elements like that um, into our program. And, um, and just by sheer luck, um, I ended up with some, some really good athletes that, um, you know, help leverage my credibility, if you like. And, and then it kind of just rolled into, uh, I suppose, I, I don't know if we're a high performance squad or we're still the same squad we were um, 16 years ago, but um, we've been very fortunate enough to attract athletes that, that compete at, the highest level and um yeah we yeah continue to be competitive on all surfaces that we race yeah so what do you think it is that makes you stand out as opposed to <clears throat> other squads that you've got in the region what, what makes the best athletes as uh-huh. it has happened to be what what makes them come to you as opposed to someone else oh uh, look i don't know um yeah i've never really really thought of that we we've got some very good coaches here in the gold coast you know or, you know sharon hannon um, Glennis Nunn, um, Mark Labbrook, like they're all very credible coaches. Ryan Hoffman's another one coaching Bream Masters. Like 
these these are really capable um, coaches, and um, I think what we offer in the past, and you know, I've probably had a couple of the athletes say we we offer a lot of ca- accountability with our program. Like there is a lot of expectation around um, delivery at training and attitude at training, and our culture is always very good and and managed. Um, I know we offer quite a few services to our athletes that other squads don't have, but you know, I think it'd be very, very individual, to be honest. Um, what what pe- brings people to our our space versus what brings people to other other spaces um, is probably very different. So yeah, I I, I don't know um, in answer to your question, but um, they're probably the things that I, I think that separates us from the rest. Yeah, it's it's a good position to be in, I suppose. The fact that you've been able to draw attention to what you do. Um, I guess at the, end, at the end of the day, it's really a, a reflection of how good the quality of coaching is from yourself and um, the people that you've got around you in, you know, in S&C and, and stuff like that. Um, it just goes to show the quality and, and the, the level that you have um, developed in that side of things, right? Yeah, correct. We, I mean, we have a very high expectation that anyone we bring into the group buys into what we're doing and they're highly engaged. And um, we definitely, I would definitely say our, our physio that's been with us for six years we have a we're fortunate enough to be able to afford to have a physio to come to the track um to each of our sessions and and he buys in he's probably my best mate now and he buys into what we're doing and believes in all the athletes and what we're trying to achieve and our snc guys are are much the same as well and, and people that sort of come into our space are attracted to our space for a variety of reasons but um we let them stay in the space because they're engaged and they're adding value and um, you know, and probably the same case for the athletes too. You know, people that don't want to be in our space or don't want to be a part of what we're doing. Um, yeah, we we part ways with fairly quickly. So, um, yeah, I I don't know if that's me or that's just our environment or the athletes we attract, but um, some of everything seems to to make it um, quite an enjoyable environment to be in. Yeah, I suppose culture is everything, right? Like, you want people, especially in an environment where people are there to do the best they can. If you've got people that are going to be in there and they're not going to give their all and, and that's going to infect others, for want of a better phrase, you know, it's not going to help yeah. anyone for their development, for their improvement, irrespective of that. It's just, it's not a good environment to be in. So, yeah, culture is, is, is massive in training squads. Yeah, that's right. And we've, we've had to have some really tough conversations with some, some lovely kids along the way that, that just didn't fit into our group for, for whatever reason that they just weren't there for the right reasons or, you know, unfortunately there is no magic um, potion for coaching or, or performance. And if people are coming to our squad because they think we've got the magic formula that they become a little bit disillusioned when they work out that, you know, we're doing a fair bit of training. It's quite hard. You know, there's a level of accountability. There's more detail than they've ever dealt with. And, and um, you know, some of those people that are aspiring to, um, reach the next heights probably weren't prepared to um to work as hard as what we, what our group does so um you know and that's that's not a um, negative um statement towards them it's just that's who we are that's what that's our dna we work hard and we're, we're very detailed and um you know, unfortunately that's not for everybody yeah it, it's a good thought pattern as well with from the outside it's easy to to become a bit blindsided when you see the star athletes that you do have under your um, under your watch, and as an athlete, you could look into that and say, "Wow, 
you know, best athletes are there, must be the best coaches that are there as well type thing. Um, but you can't just come into that environment and automatically you become the best. Like, as you said, you've got to work yeah. hard. You've got to put the effort in. And that's the only way you're going to get to that top level where all those athletes are. Yeah, correct. And, and it was funny because um, last year we had a bit of an influx of new people, um, quite talented new people. And we, we're typically in midwinter. We do a lot of like quite hard tempo work. Um, and it's quite a, quite a grind. And um, uh, after one of the sessions, it wasn't, it wasn't being delivered to our standard. And, you know, it was becoming a little bit frustrating for me. And um, a, an athlete who's been with me for nine years, Elizabeth Forsythe, um, obviously won the 2018 store gift. She said, next week, Robbo, I'm doing the briefing um, of, of the group before the 200 session, um, before the tempo session. Um, she said that was that session was totally unacceptable by us and I want to correct it. And, you know, she's, I typically say as a leader, she's probably someone that leads by her actions, not her voice. Um, but, yeah, the following week, she took the lead on the warm up and also the briefing of the session and um, was very um, direct and robust in her appraisal of what happened the week before and and suggested that you know told quite a few athletes called them out on on their delivery and um, it ended up turning the corner for us for the season because she she bought she she owned the situation where she needed to say something she could see that. Um, the group was heading in a direction that wasn't us and um, she fixed it um, herself. And that I would say that over time that we've had athletes like that do it, do that quite a bit. Even when EJ came to Lashan, she probably had some older older athletes that would have done the same. But, you know, I think that the in leading from leadership from your peers is probably the most powerful thing. And, you know, having our athletes, whether they're star athletes or not, uh, create the agenda for our group is um is more powerful than me standing up every other session just you know preaching what how things should be done yeah 100 percent agree with that it's it's an individual sport at the end of the day because they're representing themselves as an athlete they're the ones putting the work in for themselves you look at that contrasting to your team sports soccer afl cricket whatever it may be what you've described there is is a resemblance of what would happen in a, in a team environment, right? The standards drop at performance, in, in training, in a game, whatever it may be. And your leaders are going to be there to say, hey, this is not acceptable. We need to be doing X, Y, Z as opposed to what we were doing. And that's, that's a perfect example of, of how you've been able to integrate a team squad environment into an individual yeah. sport. And of course, at the end of the day, everyone's there to support each other, of course. But yeah. it's still very easy to be like, well, no, I'm an individual. I think I did okay. You guys can say whatever you want about yourselves, but I think I did it. You know what I mean? Like it's very yeah. easy to get into that mindset. Yeah, and I think most people look at our group as a team. Um, you know, when we when we travel to Victoria or around the place, people refer to us as the Vikings or, you know, it's always with the S. It's never that's Carla Ball or that's whoever. It's always she's with the Vikings or, you know, it's yeah. like we're a, a football team that's rolling up to, to play a game, but, you know, we're all just racing individually at the time and then we all you know, obviously get together and, and celebrate each other's success and failures after that. So, um, yeah, I, I love the environment that we're in. We have to manage it every single day, um, but it is probably, maybe maybe that was the answer to your question earlier. That's, maybe that's what separates us from the others is that we have leadership, both um, from myself and also the athletes that demand an outcome from the group. 
yeah, it's a good perspective. Um, the, the, the leadership that I was showing in that particular instance from Elizabeth, in, in terms of what you've seen across 16 years of, of having this, what major lessons have you learned from your athletes as a coach? What, what, what have your um, athletes taught you that you originally would never have thought of? Oh, look, yeah, look, we've had, we've had hundreds of athletes. Like we used to, we used to number all our athletes and um, they'd have a, a unique, unique number code. Um, of when they started with the group and that sort of stuff, but and we got into the you know, into the two hundreds at some point in time. Like, I would I would think we learned something from everyone. Um, I think at, at times I've been a very extreme coach and very demanding and you know, almost uncompromising. Um, I think, and I've also gone too far the other way and and let the um, lunatics run the asylum, if you like, and not manage the culture because I wanted to be the popular coach. I wanted to be everyone's friend and I didn't want tension at training and um and you know and that and at the time I thought I was doing the right thing you know I thought you know I'm managing and then I got to the end of that and I do my review and I talk to my other coaches and some of the key things and I, I realized that we'd we'd gone too far so then you come back a little bit so I think it's just the ebbs and flows of the athletes like as far as my um coaching craft you know you know the, probably the athletes that have taught me the most you know Mitchell Williams Swain, when he landed, like he literally knocked on my door and who we knew through surf club, but he was 17, I think at the time, he knocked on my door and said, look, I've left my coach. Um, can you look after me till stall? Um, and that was 2011 when he won. Um, after 2011, I said to him and his dad, that I'm not good enough to coach you and you need to go find um you know, a better coach, a more credible coach. And they said, no, we're staying here. And um, and so I had to learn. I had to learn from him. I had to learn quickly. I had to get mentors. So he forced me into learning how to coach, a, you know, or drive a Ferrari. You know, he was a 10-2 guy. And I was used to dealing with 11-5 beach sprinters. So we, um, yeah, I had to grow up real quickly. And, and probably the same, Murray Goodwin. We didn't have any forerunners before Murray Goodwin. Um, we had a plan to go to store. And then start fours. So I had to learn four hundreds, and he oh, he had trusted me enough that he that I would learn faster than he would learn, so we could apply it to a four hundred meter. Um, and you know, and then there's a host of host of girls that we've had through the group that you know that um, have taught me how to be you know a, a better coach or deal with females better or um, you know different ways to managing people. Like not everyone's this needs a cookie cutter approach to, to coaching. And, and I think just by having such a large group that, you know, they're all responsible for, you know, this giant melting pot of coaching craft in there. And you know, even, even the dumb things that you don't want to learn are still lessons that you go, wish I hadn't learned that, but I'm going to see that, see that um, moving, you know, moving forward, you know, so, um, and, and sometimes you see it moving forward. Sometimes you miss it, but, um, I think those type of people, like the, the athletes that we've had through our group have um, bought in so much that they've been honest enough to say, Robbo, we think we need more of this. What do you think? Or, you know, or that's not working for me. Can we adjust? Or I want to change my goal or whatever. And, and you just adjust on the fly. And, um, you know, as an engaged coach, and I'm sure every engaged coach will tell you that you end up as far more than their coach you're dealing with personal issues you're dealing with you know their life tragedies their life successes and everything everything in between um and 
you end up becoming very um, uh, empathetic towards it. You know that everyone's dealing with something on, when they arrive at training. That there's no, there's no, you know, just turn up with training with a good attitude. You know, that's that's my non-negotiable. You turn up training with a good attitude, but not if the kid's dogs died or you know their, their, their car's broken down and you know like we've had you know, athletes that don't have enough money to put petrol in their car and they're stuck on the side of the road and they've got to walk to training and deal with their car. Like there's just such a variety of um, you know, lessons that you've just got to, but I, I don't think I was as empathetic um, when I started coaching as a probably what I am now. Um, and that, that comes with, you know, pain and suffering on the athletes and point of view that, you know, I had to learn that. So. Yeah. You're, you're not just managing the athlete, as you said, you know, an athlete is a person and the person carries all the weight of, all the different things in their lives and yeah. they can't wipe that off just to turn up the training you know they, they carry that with them and in some cases yeah. it's a it's a benefit it's a beneficiary because it carries them and it forces them to excel in some senses depending on what it is yeah. but then there is the other side of things where you know their performance is going to be depleted as a result of whatever is happening in their lives and um, yeah, and, and, yeah you, you have to learn it, how to deal with that and, you, and you've got no, because there's no blueprint for it, right? And especially when you're a young coach, like when Mitchell Williams went with, with us, um, you know, I remember I remember the day his mum died, right? Like he, his mum was suffering cancer and, um, you know, obviously that was documented through his stall win and, and so forth. And she died not long after. And he turned up to day, he turned up to training the day she died. And like she died in the morning and he turned up to training. I was like, what are you doing here, mate? Like, you know, you don't need to be here. Like, we don't need to go through this. And it was a three one fifty session on, at max velocity, and he he did the like to this day the most ridiculous, impressive session. Like, banged them all out on fifteen one standing start. You know, off the first movement, and I'm just like, holy Jesus! Like, this kid is like totally resilient. He's just like, he's just like, I'm just he needed to get his mind off it and whatever was motivating him to be there. But, you know, mere mortals like myself, I wouldn't, I couldn't turn up to training on a day like that. You know, like yeah. that's not, that's not something I could do, but he did it, you know, like, and, and I still, still to this day, like with a level of fear at the start of the session, empathy, and then also just, just being totally impressed at the end that, you know, that's, that's not in a coaching manual. It's nothing. It's just like, there's, <clears throat> there's something that we didn't see coming. And, you know, there was no, like, it didn't matter what he did in that session, to be fair. Like, it didn't matter. But, you know, I still remember that he just, he just went about his work. He was able to switch off, do what he needed to do, and then go home and grieve again. And that was just, it was just something I'll, I'll probably never forget. It'll probably, it's probably the most resilient thing I've ever seen um, and probably most impressive thing I've seen in my time. Yeah, you've got to be tough to do something like that. that yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't even imagine being in that situation to have to go no. through that. Um, yeah. But I suppose at the end of the day, maybe he, he's running, you know, as, as I think you alluded to a little bit there, that was kind of his outlet, you know, and that was where he was able to go to after having a, for what it's going to be a really shit day, let's be honest. Um, yeah. And he was able to turn up and say, well, no, I'm not going to worry myself now. I'm just going to focus on what I enjoy doing um, and let yeah. that, for the hour, two hours, however long it may have been, just to forget about what's happened and just you know focus on himself. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in in terms of your training, one of the 
the big things that um, is shown across your social media um, and on your website as well is the the curved treadmill training and it's it's quite an interesting um, facet of training I, I suppose it hasn't really been around for a super long time in comparison to some other training methods um, and it's starting to pick up a lot of ground um, in the athletics world so for you what is it that makes it so effective um, in training and improving your athletes as opposed to flat treadmill um, and then other training methods that are out there yeah. as well yeah look it's um you know it's not wasn't our idea we stole it from uh the, the americans were doing it altus and um we started doing it in 2018 and um I, I found that we were doing tempo runs of training you know the 10 100s or 2100s or, or whatever it might be um and i found that it's just the it was a when we tested it, it was just an easy way to do that type of work where we're in a controlled environment we can control the speed um and also um we can coach really specifically like you basically you know we don't run athletes longer than 15 seconds on the curve but over that 15 seconds they might do i don't know 50 or, or 60 steps maybe probably more i've never counted it but you're there to you can manage the hot everything every, every single stride you can be very specific about your coaching and then that that creates more hip activation you can get better heel recovery you can work on the dorsiflexion because you're doing it by repetition right you're just constantly doing that correction in a stationary position and if you if you sort of compare that to you know doing 10 100s of the track you might be standing next to the athlete as they run past you at the 30 meter mark but then the 70 meters down the down the track and all, they've slumped their forms got their posture's gone to gone to custard and you know they're no longer doing it so you're actually you, you're doing the repetition in poor shape where if you're standing beside the machine and they're doing it you can correct them really fast and um, i found it a really effective way for a hip activation and just those minute corrections around um you know front side mechanics and, and the like so great place to do tempo and there's no there's no downforce into your legs so chins calves and the, and the like are all protected in doing that um you know a lot of the times especially when we first started doing it our athletes were still running um, um max velocity speed the day after doing a heavy tempo session so on, on a curve so we were finding that it was almost just a free hit um, you get the cardio workout you get all the activation around the hips and the, and the specific muscles required for um you know um sprint posture but without all the downforce that was destroying destroying people's feet and calves so yeah, that's that's why it landed in us we've kept it um you know we've moved it into football in the afl um had amazing results with with our afl players now um you know their their time above 25 k's in that band has gone through the roof you know some of the suns players are now 500 meters above um, um 25 kilometers an hour which is nearly 400 percent more than they were doing last year and the top speeds improved so it's just like depending on what you're trying to achieve and how you use it it's just it's an accelerated way to correct uh, your running posture or in a in a football sense it's an accelerated way to get high intensity work when you don't don't get a lot of high intensity work in your normal week yeah in terms of comparing it to the flats is it more beneficial because it reduces those down forces you're talking about and reduces the impact on shins and calves and Achilles and what forth is that? Yeah, why you yeah, well, for a curve? Um, well, I did when I was running. I did a lot of work on the flat, like a motorized flat. Um, and you can definitely cheat those things because you can hit them hard and 
and the belt slows down and you know, the speed stays right. So you can sort of operate around that. Yes, the downforce is probably the primary reason, but you have to, to run comfortably on a curved machine, you have to be in correct sprint posture or the machine, you know, it, it provides you with feedback that you're in an awkward space. Either you're, you're landing out in front of yourself and you're, and you're providing negative, you know, um, negative force into, into your stride length or you're coming off the back too slow or your hips are low. If, you, if you're leaning too far forward, you end up trying to tilt over and the machine running too far. So it, it provides you with enough feedback that it's almost cueing you to get back into that correct shape into, to, to manage the repetition. So I, I would always, um, when doing sprint posture, um, probably move towards a curve over a, um, over a flat treadmill. But if you're just out, if you're just a weekend potter or you're a distance runner, then probably the flat's better because they're awful to jog on. They're, they're terrible. And if you go, if you go beyond 20 seconds, they start to, you start to really struggle because you blow up the, you know, you, you're not, you know, you're in a, a really high sprint pot, sprint position for a long period of time. And you know, you're just using muscles that aren't necessary for a, you know, a park runner. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes plenty of sense. You know, I suppose you can only sustain, um, you know, certain levels of, of ATP for, for so long, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. Correct. There's only, yeah. there's only such a limited duration of that available. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really interested, um, what makes you and, and your squad come down to Victoria as opposed to some other squads? You think about some of the ones that are in WA that are, that are quite excellent as well. They don't come over yeah. to Victoria very often. So why is it that you're drawn to the VAO in particular? Uh, well, the store gift is obviously the, the main reason. I've you know, been there for since 99 and have a real passion for it. Um, and, you know, I want other athletes in my group to experience that, that, that passion and that, that has that history um, in that event. So that's the main reason. I think it's incredible to be able to go to these races. If you get a handicap, if you're lucky to get a handicap, that's that's close to your capability. You can often get six runs in a day too. you between the 70 and the gift. Um, and that, that can't be replicated in training like that that high speed specific racing so to me it's a really good outcome um to be able to um or really good condition conditioning to be able to do that to get you ready uh, a lot it's a lot more like the beats where it's back-to-back racing but um you know so a lot of our beach athletes probably do that to to benefit the beach as opposed to doing beach to benefit uh stall so um and yeah we we you know we've over time it's been a real up and down bunch of motivations as to why we come down obviously we want to win stall um and so we we need the handicappers to see us sometimes going down there is not to our benefit either and um and you know we get probably scrutinized more than we would if we if we didn't show up um so it's that happy balance we also want to support the league too you know i think our squad's been criticized in the past in particular after we win a race down there that um we don't support the league enough. And um, so last year we made steps to uh, do that and get down there and support the league. And I think we went to seven gifts over, over the summer. Um, was it a benefit to us? Probably not. I, I think we enjoyed ourselves, but, you know, as far as our capacity to improve our chances to install, we probably, probably diminished them based on what we, what we saw. So um, we'll continue to go down there Um We'll continue to have faith that the system will be fair and reasonable and, and our athletes will, will get treated fairly. Um, 
and you know and, and we we love it like i like catching up with the rod matthews of the world and uh and the todd islands you know those guys were my inspiration when i was racing and and i think that there's some real um benefit being around those guys those guys that i looked up to um seeing it see them coach and, and that sort of stuff so i like being a part of that history and we go to gibson you know we go to the warnable gift and we get treated like rock stars it's so you know we don't get that you don't get that in any sport and you know whether we deserve it or not is debatable but you know they look after us very very well down there and um when you turn up to a meet where you feel welcomed and um like people want you there it's um it's hard to not want that again had five still gift winners correct yeah yeah and, I, and every time i say five i I want to make sure that you know I, I i do share matt rizzo's win with with matt carter without matt carter um matt rizzo doesn't win stall like those two worked hand in hand together and um you know i certainly played a part but matt carter um in my view is is probably the reason um, matt rizzo won stall and you know, he's a wonderful man and a wonderful coach and so i never want to just talk about the five and not acknowledge matt um because he was he was absolutely a part of that that um well what at the time was my third yeah so having those five on your records what does that mean to you as a coach um oh look it's it's incredible like i i think i've said in the past that i only ever wanted one um and but it becomes very addictive you know i do i do want one more i always want one more um I I look at it like I when I arrived in '99 down there, I had a sense of um, history and presence of the of the facility, and I remember saying to my coach, "I want to be successful here." And as an athlete, I thought that was that was me winning, um, but that that didn't work out. And you know, my I suppose my um, footprint down there will be obviously coaching. That that's the footprint I'll leave down there, and you know. I, I hope to hope to win many more and um but yeah it, it is an incredible um I'm, it's something i'm very proud of i'm very proud of the, those athletes that were part of that i'm very proud of the athletes that were in our squad that that helped ha that happen and and obviously the support staff we had around us at the time and each of those wins you know it wasn't just me it's always a team environment that gets that done so you've got five still gift wins now as we've alluded to that's equal to the record for the, the highest number of wins by any coach. For you, what type of personal achievement would it be where you can win a sixth one in the coming years and, and etch yourself into the Hall of Famer store? Yeah, oh, look, I'd love to win a sixth one. I think, uh, you know, that's everyone's dream just to win one. So to, to be talking about a six would be incredible. Um, me personally, when I started back in uh, 1999, um, I always felt I wanted to be a part of history with the, with the store gift. I had that real sense of um, history when I walked through the door and I remember saying to my coach at the time that I, I wanted to be successful here. I wanted to, wanted to be a part of history. And um, you know, unfortunately for me as an athlete, I didn't happen. Um, and as a coach, that's, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to have attracted the right athletes and, you know, to be, to be in the Hall of Fame would be probably a sense of completeness on that that commitment I made myself in in '99. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how all those things work, but you know, every year I, you know, I love going into the Hall of Fame and looking at the the, the athletes, the coaches, and 
um, the memorabilia in there. And, you know, to, for me, it would be probably a more just a sense of completeness that, that what I set out to in 99 as a, as a 19 year old um, had to come to fruition, you know, five, five wins is, is absolutely um, amazing. I've loved every minute of it. Um, I've loved the three seconds that we've got to, um, you know, and I suppose, you know, one day if I'm fortunate enough to be um, asked to be in the hall of fame, uh, then, you know, I'll, I'll probably, probably feel really um, a sense of accomplishment and completed that I'm part of, part of the history of that event. If you were to walk away from the sport tomorrow, never coach again, um, never even be bothered checking in on the VAL ever again, how would you want to be remembered as? Wow. Um, I don't know. I think I'd like to, I'd like to believe that the type of brand of athlete and group that we've brought to stall um, um, added value to the event, added value to the quality um, and that that the athletes that we brought down and myself was just a good person um, and, and was good for the sport. I think that's probably how I'd like to be remembered. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been asked that question. I was like, shit. Yeah. It's, I didn't brief you on it. So it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, geez. But um, I think it's a good question to ask every now and then, you know, that type of legacy side of things. It's, um, it can work as a good guideline going forward. And you really think about what am I actually doing that's going to leave a lasting impact really. Yeah. And look, we, we definitely have, um, like I have a sense that we have a brand in the, in the VAL. Uh, I'm not sure what, what type of brand it is, but I know that there's, um, that there's generally an acceptance that what we bring to the table is positive um, and our, and our athletes, make make the events better um, or at least make it more competitive and i think uh, that's a sense of pride that i have when i'm down there and you know the coaches are always very friendly to us so i do enjoy going to the val and um you know speaking rubbish with our, with other coaches about the the mystery of stall and um and the like so um you know i i can't quite put my finger on it but i know i know that what we're doing down there um, gets noticed. Yeah, it definitely does. I think when people know the Vikings are coming to town, I think they get they get a bit worried. Oh, I've got to compete well this weekend, type thing. So it's um, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty positive brand if we look at it from that perspective. It um, yeah. makes everyone have to perform at their best um, and be ready for the challenge ahead. So it's probably a good uh, a good position to be in. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. So we'll finish off with the little, the secret questions side of things. So um, the guest prior to you, Steve Brossman, um, his question for you, not knowing that it was going to be you, of course, that he was asking the question to. Um, I'll give you a bit of the background because he gave a bit of a background before saying what his question was as well. So every year, um, typically around January, he'll lay out what three words he wants to live by for that forthcoming year so alongside his goals and his ambitions for that forthcoming year he has these three words and it's kind of like what he lives by right so his question for you is what three words do you currently live by 
or that you would like to live by in the next 12 months? Um, probably passionate, be passionate. Um, I would also probably think engaged is the right, right word. Um, and, and focused. Um, I think those three, three things are probably, um, in the melting pot of the type of personality I am. And, you know, probably each day I try to be focused, engaged and passionate about everything I'm doing. And, um, and so I would say those are the, the three, three words that I would, I would live by. And is that going forward as well? Or is that at current? Oh, definitely going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's held me in good stead to date. And, um, you know, I think that that, that blend of, um, of, uh, I suppose qualities is, is probably, um, what I'll continue to, to live by. Good answer. Fantastic. And for our next guest, what would you like to ask them? Um, yeah, I probably, I probably want to know what, uh, what is one non-negotiable you have in your training program um, that you would advise every coach to include? I like that. That's good because you get two different perspectives on it. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Good question. There'll be some good discussion around that. 100% there will be. Yeah, I always have to make sure the next guest is an athlete because otherwise it's a uh, a question that's not going to be applicable. But I'll make sure it's an athlete for you. Um, because yeah, that that'd be a good question, good discussion for that one non-negotiable in their training program that all coaches should implement. I like that. That's a good way to round it off, Brett. Fantastic. Yeah, well, we I mean we ask we ask our athletes when we do the the end of season review. We say what what is one non-negotiable that has to be in next year's program and um or next year's um delivery and yeah we get a variety of responses from them and where where we agree probably in most of the times we would implement it uh, one thing I, I will say to you is a bit of a compliment i suppose to your training squad and, and the culture that we touched on earlier um you've kind of created like a a, a workplace environment you, know, you say just then, you know, you have your end of season reviews type thing. It's kind of like your your performance reviews type scenario that you would have in a regular workplace. But it works quite well from the sounds of it and from, from the results that you have on the track, of course, as well. But um, yeah, like, like I said earlier, props to you uh, and the team that you've got around you and and the athletes, as we touched on with, with Elizabeth, you know, enforcing the type of culture that you want there, which is yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're very proud of what we what we've... Um, what we're doing, um, what we've done in the past, and you know, we'll probably, you know, we'll continue to strive to be successful on all the surfaces we race. So, you know, hopefully, we'll, we'll be down in Victoria in uh, for Terang and and Warnable and um, you know, potentially a couple of other other gifts first up in the new year, um, depending on race schedules. But yeah, we we can't wait to get back down there and um, catch up with everybody and test ourselves against those in the VAL. And we're looking forward to, to seeing you as well. So um, what are we now? We're mid-September, so uh, not too long until 2nd of December rolls around for, for Warnable. So, um, yeah, yeah. Look, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, an incredibly insightful discussion, which is always a good thing. Um, and 
I think a lot of people, coaches, athletes, or or indifferent to that, um, will be able to take away something from it. So um, thank you again. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me on.